Well, I have been uh, out of the pulpit for a couple weeks. Two weeks ago, we were on vacation. And then just last week, we got to see Austin's ordination. That was awesome, wasn't it? I loved just seeing that. And then uh, after that, he preached. Pastor Austin preached. And uh, when, uh, when he did, he covered a passage where Jesus is talking about the value and the importance of having a verbal testimony for Christ. And maybe you remember from last week, the reason why is because, as Austin said, we are to fear God, not fear man. Why? Remember, the, the worst thing that man can do to you is kill you, but God not only can kill you, but he also controls your eternal destiny. He controls eternity. You remember that from last week. But what happened then is as Jesus is teaching about that, someone from the crowd chimes in, pipes up, throws out a comment. Now, side note, we don't encourage that at Redemption Chapel. Like, uh, if you're looking for a way to meet the deacons, that'll do it. And if that doesn't go well, then you meet the elders too. So, you know, like, so we don't go that route. But it, but it happened with Jesus. And here it is. We're in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. He was teaching, and here's what happened. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions." Now, to understand this comment that is thrown out, someone you need to understand the importance of inheritance to the Jewish life. It's not just about money, but land. And land means religious identity to the Jews. So it's very important. They had a lot of rules and laws, but there were some ambiguities, and every once in a while there would be tension within the family. And so what they would do is go to a rabbi. And that's probably what this guy is doing. But you'll notice something here. He does not ask for Jesus' judgment. He tells Jesus what to do. And can I just suggest to you that's not a great way to approach God? <laughs> that's the wrong approach. Like he could have said, hey, Jesus, uh, is this a problem? Uh, is this important? Should something be done about this? What should be done about this Jesus? He doesn't go that route. He says, Jesus, I will now tell you what is right and what you must do. Don't try that with God, right? One is submitting to his judgment. The other is elevating myself as Jesus' judge. And so Jesus makes this rhetorical question. He says, um, who made me judge? And the obvious answer is God the Father did. God made Jesus judge. But this aggrieved son didn't make Jesus judge, not in his own heart. See, Jesus is either judge or he isn't. If Jesus isn't the judge, then quit bothering him. But if he is the judge, then quit trying to dictate the verdict to him, right? But don't we do that with God? We go to God and we presume that we will tell God what needs to happen and what he should do, and when he doesn't do it, we get ticked. Quit trying to dictate the verdict to the judge. So Jesus, what he does is he turns to the crowd and he says, be on your guard against all covetousness. Now, does that seem like an overreaction? Like, how does Jesus get from, this guy's just upset that he's not getting a fair share of the inheritance. And, and so Jesus says he's being, he's coveting. What? How did he get there? 
another important point of Jewish inheritance. The way it would work is each child would get a fair share, an equal share, except the eldest son. The oldest son would get a double share of the inheritance. Now, to us, that seems strange, but you understand, they didn't have Social Security back then. So when dad dies, how is mom going to be cared for? The oldest son gets a double share in order to take care of mom in her old age. That's why. Now, all the other heirs, what they get is gravy. It's extra. It's bonus, right? Like, they didn't earn that money, and they don't have to take care of mom, so it's just bonus money. The other thing to understand is the eldest son would be the executor of the estate. So who's complaining here in the crowd is likely one of the younger sons wanting a larger share, which is really an insult to mom because I don't care about your care in old age, right? And wants a larger share, that is coveting and Jesus is right to go after it. That's coveting. And as Jesus goes after it, what he says is this. He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is life all about? Jesus says it's not about the abundance of possessions. Maybe you've seen this bumper sticker before. He who dies with the most toys wins. I'm guessing right now some of you are looking up there going, man, that's a sweet ride. I'm coming for you today. (laughs) Really glad you're here. All right, but he who dies with the most toys wins. And as Christians, we know that bumper sticker's wrong. The problem is we still live like that. We live like that. And Jesus is saying that's not life. The issue on the table today is what is life all about? And Jesus is going to give us three options. Life is about gluttony, or it's about anxiety, or it's about eternity. And for the first one uh, to discuss gluttony, Jesus is going to tell a story. And that continues in verse 16. Let's look at that together. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. I just want to pause there for a moment because I want you to imagine that you get to the end of your life, you die, and you find yourself standing before God, and the first word he has to say to you is fool. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, as you look at that story Christ told, Um, up until verse 18, I don't think it's a problem. I realize you don't have verse numbers up there. You'll understand. But, But look, what happens at first is this guy, his land produces plentifully, right? You know what that's called? Good farming, right? Like he's worked hard, he's worked smart, and it's produced really well. He's done a great job for himself. And then he realizes, oh my goodness, I have so much crop, I don't have anywhere to store them. What's he supposed to do? Just let it rot in the fields? 
So he's being a good steward. Let's build bigger barns to store the crops. He makes wise business decisions, and that's not a problem. But I do see three problems. The first one is this. He assumes life is about gluttony. First, he, th- he thinks he knows what life is about, but then he thinks it's about having more stuff. And this is revealed in this conversation that he has with his own soul. By the way, the word soul there in the Greek can also be translated life. This is what life is all about. He's talking with himself about it. And in the process, his heart is revealed. He thinks life is about comfort, financial security, hedonism, materialism, the good life, living the dream. For us, it would be the American dream. That's what it's all about. Now notice then, it's, it's not whether you have stuff. It's whether stuff has you. That's the difference right there. Is stuff and money and wealth and possessions, is that where you put your hope, your trust? That's where your provision comes from? Your fulfillment, your identity, your meaning in life? I just described a God. That means that stuff is your God. And this guy does not own his wealth. His wealth owns him. And that's the problem. When you've got stuff and you can't give it up, then you don't have it. It has you. That's a God. And so he's going with, he who dies with the most toys wins. Now, if that statement is true, this guy in the story wins. He is a champ. He's nailing it. But Jesus is going to say that's not true life. It's not what life is all about. Reason why? Because of the second problem. The second problem is this. He forgot about God. I forgot about God. See, God is life. God is the source of life. It's all about connecting with God. We are made for communion with God. And so true life, full life, eternal life, kingdom life, it's all about God. And flows into love, that we love God, and then we love people. That is life, but not for this guy in the story. You know what the guy in the story loves? Not God. And not people. He loves himself. If you look closely at the little dialogue he has with his own soul, in Greek at least, the word for I is repeated eight times. It's a short little dialogue. Eight times he says I. Four times he says my. And by the way, when you're having a dialogue with your own soul, that's a tip off. (laughs) That's a problem right there. This guy is into himself. And he's speaking to his soul and not to his God because he forgot about God. Pastor John Piper puts it this way. He says, the issue isn't that the man's fields prospered. The issue is that God ceased to be his supreme treasure. If God had been his treasure, what would he have done differently? Instead of saying, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. He would have said something like this. God, this is all yours. You have made my fields prosper. Show me how to express with my riches that you are my treasure and the riches are not. Ah, but then God gets to decide. Like, he's the judge. Oh, yeah. See, I don't like that, but I'd rather dictate the verdict to the judge because after all, what if submitting to God means I have less stuff on earth? If God is life, who cares? If stuff is life, 
then I get ripped off. See, I've made a judgment already about what I think life is about. It's very revealing. This guy has factored God out, and that's a big gamble. You better win that gamble, but we'll see he doesn't win the gamble. The reason he doesn't is because of the third problem. He forgot about eternity. You see, if eternity isn't real, then this guy nailed it. He is a champ. But if eternity is real, this guy is a fool. And so men and women, we must make a choice. If eternity is real, live for it. If eternity isn't real, live for the world. Both those statements make sense to me. Question is, is eternity real? He who dies with the most toys also dies. Worm food. Okay? You realize the caskets all look the same from the inside? Six feet under looks the same for all of us. What I'm suggesting is that you are going to be alive for eternity and you only have an 80-year plan. That's foolish. That's really foolish to have an 80-year plan for an eternal life. You realize this guy got to the top rung of the ladder like he arrived at the proverbial top of the ladder only to find it leaning against the wrong wall. And in that moment, he found himself face to face with God and God said, fool, fool. Don't be rich in this world, but poor toward God. Why? Because what is life all about? Well, I tell you, there's three options, gluttony, anxiety, or eternity. This guy said gluttony. And so he lived for his possessions, but he did not possess life. He's a fool. That's the first option. The second option is is anxiety, and for that we'll continue in the passage. Let's look at it together. Continues in Luke 12, verse 22, and it says this. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So you see that the focus here is shift from a guy who has like arrived and living the dream to people who haven't, who are scrambling for food and clothing. Because a lot of people in that culture in that time, they, it was sustenance living, right? Like you, you'll say at times, like, I have nothing to wear. And when you say that, you're standing in front of a closet full of clothes, right? 
The rest of the world means something entirely different by that phrase, I have nothing to wear. These people were sustenance living. They didn't have much. They would be anxious about food and clothes. Most of them would have one pair of clothes, maybe, maybe not an extra garment. That's it. And yet here they are anxious about stuff. What's interesting is money can have a grip on you whether or not you have a grip on money. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, money can totally own you. And so instead of gluttony, it's anxiety. And so Jesus says, quit fretting, quit fussing, quit worrying, quit being anxious. I don't want you to live like that. Don't you know God loves you? God knows about you? God knows what you need. He cares for you. He will provide for all your needs. I didn't say all your greeds. No, God won't provide for your greed. He'll provide for your need. He'll take care of you. And to make his point, Jesus points out the ravens. That's a very specific bird choice, by the way. Because to the Jew, a raven was not only a bird, which is kind of low on the ladder, but it's an unclean animal. It's like bottom rung of the ladder. The only thing lower than a raven is a cat, okay? <laughs> might, have, might have editorialized there a little bit, but you get the point, right? So, like, Jesus is saying, look, you understand, ravens are unclean birds. People are made in the image of God. Grass and flowers are temporary. People are eternal. If God so cares for the ravens and the flowers and the grass like that, don't you think he'll take care of you? Say, cool, so I don't have to work? You understand the birds work, right? They go out and they gather. In fact, so that we don't misunderstand what's being said by this passage, let me give you a cross-reference from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul says this, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such a person we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. You see, this passage in Luke is not, it's not saying that God's going to reward your laziness. No, God won't enable your laziness. If you think about the birds, though, the birds work, but they don't fuss and fret, do they? Why? Because it's not about conspicuous consumption. It's not about closet full of shoes. It's not about status. It's not about symbols and vanity and pride. See, so you can leave the anxiety behind. Like the birds leave that stuff behind and God takes care of them. You can leave that stuff behind. You can be, not be anxious. You can ditch your anxiety. Corey Ten Boom said it this way. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. See, by fussing and fretting, you can't add an hour to your life. You're not affecting tomorrow. All you're doing is making yourself all bunged up today. Jesus says, don't do that. He doesn't want you living like that. Don't be anxious. He'll provide. Now, if we're honest, though, uh, we're pretty blessed people. Ironically, we're still anxious, right? We're anxious over gluttony. That's the irony of it. It's pretty rare that we in this room are worried about food and clothes. Like, our problem is not that I might starve or might be naked. That's not what we're dealing with here, right? Instead, we're worried about college, paying for college. We're worried about houses and cars and vacations. And we're anxious about that stuff. In fact, we're anxious about providing for retirement, right? 
Okay, can I, can I just zero in on something here? Listen, when one of your biggest problems is that you're trying to stockpile enough money in a virtual barn, right? So that you can quit working and still maintain an American standard of living. You're doing okay. You're doing okay. To be honest, most of us are actually the rich guy building bigger barns. Now, we don't like to hear that. You're, right now, you're going, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. Right. Let me read to you something from Pastor Mark Driscoll. I didn't put it, it's longer, so I didn't do slides. Let me just read it to you. He said, even though we have closet organizers and storage space and we have a garage, that wasn't enough. So Americans, we invented something else called the storage facility. This is a barn in addition to our bigger barn. The U.S. now has five times more storage facilities than Starbucks. You think Starbucks are everywhere? There are five personal storage facilities for every Starbucks. Now, truth be told, there are some legitimate uses for a storage facility. I mean, you got a business and you're storing product or something. I understand that. But for most people, this is, there is so much junk in our house, we need another place to hold the junk that we don't need, so let's get a storage unit. Listen to this. He goes on, he says, what's curious is a lot of the storage units are about the same size as the average home around the world. Made out of about the same materials, cinder block and tin. And they don't have a toilet, they don't have central heating, that, uh, excuse me, they don't have plumbing and oftentimes don't have electrical. So where we put the junk that we don't even want, that's where the average person puts their family. We are the rich. I'd say that not to shame you, okay? Listen, fine, we're Americans. We've done well for ourselves, okay? But how is it that we're like that and we're still anxious about money? Doesn't that tip us off that something's wrong in our hearts? Look, if it's all about gluttony or anxiety or anxiety over gluttony, that's not life. That is like drinking salt water trying to quench your thirst. It'll never quench your thirst. It'll only tear you up inside. It makes it worse. We are drinking salt water trying to quench our soul's thirst. And Jesus wants you to have real life. He wants you to have eternal life. Instead of gluttony and anxiety, he wants you to have eternity. So for that last part about eternity, we'll turn to the last bit of this scripture for this morning. It picks up in Luke chapter 12, verse 31. Here's what we read there. Jesus speaking still, he says, Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, so he's given three choices. Gluttony, anxiety, or eternity. And what we buy into is the American dream. If you work really hard and you work smart and you're kind of fortunate, things will come together and you will arrive. You will be living the dream. Now, most never make it. They keep on trying and they have anxiety about it. So anxiety right there. 
Some do make it. And what they have is the option of gluttony. So busy making a living that you failed to make a life. More money, more problems. A lot of times they've arrived, they've enriched their bank account by impoverishing their family relationships. And then they hear, fool. You can have gluttony, you can have anxiety, or you can have eternity. Choose door number three. (laughs) It's the best plan. Because with eternity, you get treasure in heaven. That's an eternal plan. Have you heard it said that you never see a U-Haul following a hearse? Right? Because you can't take it with you. But according to this passage, you can send it ahead. Best investment you'll ever make. Because there it doesn't fade, it doesn't fail, doesn't rust, no thieves, no moths, nothing, right? I'm saying you've got to make a choice. If eternity is real, live for it. If eternity is not real, live for the world. Christians, we're the weird ones. We think non-Christians are weird. No. They don't think that eternity is real and they live for the world. That makes sense to me. We're the ones who think eternity is real and we live for the world. That doesn't make sense. That's a problem. So are you there? Well, Jesus gives us a litmus test right at the end there for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So just examine where is your treasure and you'll know where your heart's at. Like, as Christians, we say amen to this stuff and preach it, brother, that's great. But do we actually live it out? Look at your checkbook. Doesn't it make sense that if we're actually living for eternity, that we would be giving very generously? That hurt a little bit, right? Listen to what Thabiti Anyawali says. I practiced saying that all morning. Thabiti says this. He says, show me a person who cannot give to others, and I'll show you a person who does not believe the Father gives to him. Show me a person who cannot lend, and I'll show you a person who doubts she has greater riches in the kingdom of heaven. Show me a person who cannot part with his things and I'll show you a person who does not believe the treasures of heaven are better. It's that simple. Our life follows our treasure. Now there's good news in this. Let me tell you some good news. Jesus is offering you eternity, but eternity doesn't start later. Eternity starts now. It's about the kingdom and that's now. Now as soon as I start to get and go that route, some people go, Fantastic. Finally, we're going to get to some health and wealth preaching. Probably not here ever, right? Because that's not what this passage. Some people seek first the kingdom, and then all this stuff comes to you. And some people teach it that way and believe it that way and think, sweet, I'm getting rich. But that's not the way it goes. Speaking of Jesus, Leon Morris said this. He said, he came to bring people to God, not to bring property to people. It's not what Jesus is about. If you take this passage and use it as a way to get earthly wealth, then you haven't shifted. You're still doing gluttony. You're just using religion to do gluttony. And then don't kid yourself. You're not seeking his kingdom. You're still seeking your own kingdom. You're not doing it. But again, there is good news. Eternity starts now. The kingdom starts now. It's just something different. Jesus invites us into his kingdom and gives us the opportunity to have real life, a different life. You don't have to be a rat on a wheel anymore. You don't. 
Instead, you can live a life that's different. Like, instead of using people because we love money, we can use money to serve people because we love people. That's different life. That's kingdom living right there. We get to experience freedom and joy. We get to experience the kingdom now. He's inviting us to it. What's that mean? What's that look like to seek first his kingdom? Because that's what, uh, seek his kingdom first. What's that like? I came across this week when I was on Facebook, I came across a video from the Ellen Show. It's nine minutes long, way too long. I've cut it down to four minutes. It'll give you a taste. She is affirming an employee that's been with her 10 years. Watch this. Yeah, no. She's an actress. We hired her. We're surprising you. So this is your 10th anniversary being on the show. No. Yeah, it is. 10 years. I'm I'm literally in shock right now. I know you're in shock. You were just sitting in the audience one day 10 years ago, and this is what we've gone through together in 10 years. Hello? Hi, is Jeannie there? Yes, this is her. Hey, Jeannie, it's uh, Ellen DeGeneres calling. How you doing? Are you you kidding me? No, I'm not. How are you? (laughs) So you've entered every contest, and you've never won one contest? No, I haven't. All right, do you know why I'm calling you? Um... To tell you you still have not won anything. (laughs) Nothing. What do you need? I need a job. A job? Yes, ma'am. Your okay. I don't know why we wouldn't bring Jeannie to see a show and see if she wants to clean a bathroom or something. We like your personality, so we talked about it this afternoon. We want to offer you a job here. Jeannie is outside West Virginia right now. Let's check in with Jeannie in Dallas. Jeannie is in Ontario. Jeannie? Jeannie? You said you wanted to go see a Broadway show, right? Well, I'd like to. Yeah. Have you ever been in a Broadway show? No. I got you a small part in Wicked. Oh my gosh, this is on my bucket list. I never really thought this would be real. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. And now, I'm paying it forward by helping some very special Ellen fans experience their very own firsts. For the past 10 years, I have gotten to be a part of giving the most amazing things to really wonderful people. Hey, Jeannie, it's uh, Ellen DeGeneres calling. That was the phone call that changed my life. you know she's the best and it just trickles down to every person that we work with and it's just it's the best place and I'm so grateful for that well so I'm grateful thank Thank you you. I'm grateful for you because I feel the same way I have the greatest group of people working uh, with me every single day except for Andy and I So we sent you out on assignment, and you did Ford's Life's First Evers, right? Yes. And what is your favorite part about doing that? Oh, my gosh. Well, you want to know what? I, I always say my, my favorite thing to get to do is to get to be a little part of what you do every day. 
which is you find these amazing, incredible people that have the most amazing stories and getting to share it with everyone. And it just, it touches me. And the stories that we found for this were just so awesome. And the people are so awesome. And it was, it was one of the greatest experiences. It really was. It's fun to do that for people, isn't it? Uh, it's so fun. You feel so blessed and so lucky. I right. really do. Well, let me tell you something. Okay. Uh, our friends at Ford were so happy with your life's first ever series. They want you to have your very own first ever Ford Echo Sport. No! I love, I love how she looks when she's running over. Doesn't she look like a little kid running over that SUV, right? That's how I feel that I get to be a part of the kingdom, right? Because you think about what's going on there. Uh, Jeannie has been brought into Ellen's kingdom. I love Ellen. Ellen is hilarious. Uh, she's brought into her kingdom. And, and what she said is, my favorite thing is that every day I just get to be a small part of what you're doing, right? I, I just get to be a part of what you're doing, Ellen. She, there's blessing. She feels blessed by it. She gets to be generous, and it's so fun. She is a part of Ellen's kingdom. Now, I want you to imagine something for a second. I want you to imagine on that fateful day when Ellen first called her, said, what do you need? What if she said an SUV? Maybe she got it. Maybe she didn't, but it's over. Instead, what she said is, I want to work for you. I'll just clean your bathroom. It's like, I'll just, I'll just clean the bathrooms in the kingdom of God. Just let me in. I'll just, I'll just clean your, I just want a job. I want to work. I want to be in your world. She wants to be near Ellen in relationship with Ellen, a part of what Ellen is doing, a part of her kingdom. And then, and then if she never got that SUV at the end, she's rocking it, isn't she? She's having a blast. But it's Ellen's good pleasure to give her the SUV. You feel that? That's our story. See, this isn't a bad thing, this passage. Like, don't think I'm saying, taking stuff from you. No, the Father, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to bless you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to give to you. He wants to bring you home someday by the work of Christ, not your work. And when you come home, he doesn't want you to hear, you fool. He wants you to be set. And, and not only then, but now, he doesn't want you shackled to a small life, a stingy life, an insignificant, greedy, selfish life. No way. He wants you free. He wants you to live free from gluttony, free from anxiety, to, to have a wild life, a life that is wildly, recklessly, joyfully, hilariously generous. Welcome to the kingdom. It starts now. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, it will be your job to this week to make a decision. Is eternity real? If so, how will I live for it? But I want you to make the next step. How will I display that in my life this week? For that, let me pray. Father, uh, I, I come to you humble right now because uh, I realize when, when each of us got that phone call from you, we, we, we did not deserve anything from you, not even relationship. And yet you gave us Christ 
death, resurrection, new life. We got adopted in your family. That's crazy that you let us in your kingdom. Thank you. And I admit, Lord, first among any of these, I try to hold on to the things of this world at times. And it's silly that we have an 80-year plan for an eternal life. And we repent of that right now. We want to let go of, of the chains that hold us. Drinking salt water, trying to quench our thirst. It's stupid, Lord. Lead us away from that, that we would be all about your kingdom and we would experience the kingdom now, the joy now. of just. I, I realize Ellen's kingdom, that one's going to end. Jesus, your kingdom is forever. And so we, we are so thrilled that we get to be a part of it. Take us there more and more, not later, but now. And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.